Welcome to the KPC Podcast. This week's message is from Pastor Steve Keller. All right, well, I want to welcome all of you to our Advent series this year, which focuses on freedom. So we're talking about uh, freedom in Jesus Christ, and, and I think most of us can articulate very clearly what Jesus has set us free from. That's not such a difficult thing. It's sin, death, despair, um, distance from God. Jesus, He set us free from all of that. But fewer folks can articulate, know, and understand um, what Jesus set us free for. Um, Because freedom is not just being released from a trap, it's being released into something. And that's the purpose of Advent this year is to define the freedoms. Now, we can't define them all, or this Advent would have to be a few years long, but we're focusing on a few of the really big freedoms, some of the new ones. And last week, uh, we explored the first freedom that Jesus Christ has set us free to worship God fully, to love God, um, to celebrate God, to, to, to freely express all of that to Him with all that we are, and then to turn around with that love that we're celebrating, that we've stirred up, that we've been swimming in, and then love the world with it. So it's, it's uh, yes, worship in a worship service to come alive in that, but then it's to go out for the other six and a half days of the week and just live a life of worship that isn't half-hearted or isn't like, I said a minute ago, a guitar out of tune, but wow, our life is just a beautiful song testifying to the goodness and the grace of Jesus Christ. Now, what we're going to do this week is we are actually going to combine the next two freedoms. Um, We're going to combine them because, first of all, they do go together like peas and carrots, Um, but we're also combining them because we have a children's Christmas musical next week. Yes, that was Forrest Gump, for those who figured that out. So um, today, join us as we uh, talk about the freedom of spending less and giving more, and why that matters so much. You know, why it's not just a good suggestion, but it really is, is this freedom Jesus has given us. And we're going to explore this today through the story of the wise men. So here, a very familiar tale, once again, straight from the Word of God, Matthew 2, 1 through 11. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law, and he asked, Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come out of you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. And the star that they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house 
and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of frankincense, uh, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, um, this is a story that we love so deeply. Father, it, it is our story. It's a part of our tradition. And yet, Lord, sometimes with, with stories we hear again and again and again, the meaning eludes us. So today we ask that you would open the eyes of our heart, that, God, you would open the ears of our spirit, and we would be able, Lord, to, to, to hear this beautiful challenge and see this incredible example, and, God, we would be moved. These men were moved from such a great distance. Father, God, would you move us in the same way? Lord, would you just cause us to be everything that you called the church, everything that was in your heart when you called us forth out of darkness into light? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, what Matthew has done for us here is he has given us a story that no other gospel writer included. I don't know if you've ever put that together before, but you don't find this story in any of the other gospels. And it's a story that many people would have found very incredible at the time. And the reason is um, the, the inclusion of these, these wise men, that when Jesus Christ was born, some wise men came all the way from the east, okay? And that's not just a few steps in this direction, but they traveled from eastern lands to see Jesus. Now, exactly where these wise men were from, we don't know. Um, how many wise men there actually were, we don't know that either. Um, our nativity sets all suggest three, uh, could have been three, could have been 33, probably not 303, but it could, it could have been many more. We just don't know. But what we do know is that these men in the Greek are referred to, uh, they're, they're called the Magi, or it's from Magi, and, and, and it means literally great ones. Um, it refers to members of like an Asian uh, or Oriental or priestly caste, and, and these basically men were, were, were just kind of political slash religious leaders uh, who we know dabbled in astronomy, uh, astrology. They were real big into dream interpretation and perhaps even the magic arts. So if you've ever heard the name and thought, huh, magi, magic, I wonder if there's a connection. There is a connection, all right? And, and what's interesting here is that they are even in the story at all. Why are they here? It's very interesting that they, of all people, came seeking Jesus. Why? You know, theologians and historians uh, suggest, and you'll see this if you ever do a little background on the Magi, uh, they, they suggest that the, the real purpose behind this long travel for them is that this was like a diplomatic mission, um, that, that these guys... Uh, it was kind of a goodwill gesture to foster, foster healthy political relations. They know this king has been born, and so they kind of want to go and maybe get in good with the new royal family, make a connection with the king. It'll pay off later on in trade relations or, you know, something like that. And I just want you to know that that is pure baloney, okay? Nothing could be further from the truth. That understanding of what these men are doing, that, that, it, that is, is, is doing such an injustice to what Matthew is trying to communicate to us here because Matthew makes it clear that from the very beginning, this is all God's doing. 
these men only come at God's invitation, at God's leading. And, and if you want to know what's happening here is, um, you know, a star from the east has arisen, and it has led them to this spot. And by the way, there's another parenthetical historical note. Many people say that this star was probably a comet or a meteorite. You know, if you're a little more out there, you'd say it was a UFO. But again, no, no, no. This is God. This is God up to his old tricks, okay, of once again using light to lead men to the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, he did it last week, didn't he? Uh, with the shepherds out here in the field. What happens to the shepherds on the night that Christ is born? They're out there uh, tending the sheep. Suddenly, light appears. It is the glorious light of God. In the middle of it is an angel. The angel gives directions, and the shepherds are gone, and at 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 the end of their little journey is Jesus Christ. That's exactly what happens with the magi. Light leading them to Jesus. And and I know some of us could say, well, but hold on. The light source is a little different. God, why change up the light? Well, here's what God is doing. And this is really neat. God is speaking each man's language. He is communicating in a way that each group will get. You know, shepherds out in the middle of the field with an angel. You know, they've got a Jewish background. This makes sense. Very unusual. You know, spooks them. They're afraid. But it makes sense. They get it. Same thing with the wise men. They speak the language of the stars, so God communicates by a star. And you just see the the, the personal nature of God reaching out to people in a way that they can understand. And the wise men get the message. The king of the Jews has been born somewhere toward, toward Jerusalem. Go and see him now. And so the wise men make this journey They show up in Jerusalem, and they begin asking around on the street about the newborn king of the Jews. And uh, it's interesting here, Matthew makes it very clear that their arrival and their questions caused quite a stir in Jerusalem. Specifically, verse 3 says this, when King Herod heard this report, he was deeply disturbed as was everyone else in Jerusalem. Now, here's what's going on here, okay? King Herod is disturbed, and it's pretty obvious, okay? If you know anything about King Herod, um, and I could go into to the history of Herod, but the short of it is King Herod was a murderous maniac, okay? This was a man who was absolutely out of control. His heart is corrupt. He's a dark guy. When he hears the news of Jesus, he feels threatened, There's a new king. I'm the guy in charge of here. He feels threatened, and he wants to do what? Oh, he wants to get rid of the new king immediately. How do we know that? Well, scan down to verse 16, and we read, Herod sent soldiers to kill all the boys in Jerusalem, in and around uh, Bethlehem, who were two years old and under, based on the wise man's report. That's why Herod is disturbed. And if you think that's pretty extreme, this fits the man's personality. If you read on the man a little bit, he uh, had three of his sons executed out of jealousy. And so the point here is, look, if Herod's a man who will kill his own children, he won't hesitate to kill anyone else's. That's why this man is disturbed. But then we have the matter of the other people. 
Why is everybody else in Jerusalem deeply disturbed when they hear this, okay? Is it because they love King Herod? Oh, they're concerned about his feelings, and oh, they hate to see their ruler out of sorts. Absolutely not. They hate the man. All right, could it be because everybody in Jerusalem hates Jesus and they want to crucify him? Absolutely not. Jesus is just a baby. He hasn't spoken a word. He hasn't begun his ministry. So it's neither one of those two things. Everyone else is deeply disturbed because of Herod. They're disturbed because of him. They fear what Herod will do as a result. Everybody knows if Herod hears about this child, he's going to feel threatened. He's going to try and wipe him out. There's going to be blood in the streets again. Verse 16, when Herod learned he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he sent soldiers to kill all the boys in Bethlehem who were two years old and under. And so Herod calls the wise men in. He interviews them. And uh, he pretends that, that he's really interested in seeing this new king as well. You know, he wants to go and he wants to pay his respects and just says to them, look, when, when you find the child, report back to me. I, I want to be a part of this glorious night. And the wise men leave. They leave the palace and lo and behold, what's there? The star is there once again. And this light of God leads them straight to Bethlehem. And please don't miss this. It's so small, but it's so big. When they saw the star over the place where the child was, over the house at this point, they were, Matthew writes in verse 10, they were filled with great joy. They are filled with the joy of God, and it's so important, you know, because they will go on in just a second to do some incredible things, the Scripture says, but notice that the joy of God gets a hold of them first. Notice that here God makes the first move. They are filled with joy, and then they, one, number one, they enter into the house. Number two, they see the child and his mother. Uh, Number three, they bow down. Number four, they worship him. And number five, they give him great gifts, gifts of great worth. And we all know what the, what the gifts are. You probably know what the gifts represent. But first of all, they give gold. Why? Because gold is what you give a king. Gold is a kingly gift. And, and even here as a child, this gold represents symbolically, right? Uh, it represents Jesus' right to rule as king. They give him, oh, and by the way, that gold probably funded their escape to Egypt when Herod goes after all the boys. Number two, they give frankincense, which uh, represents Jesus Christ as our high priest, and it represents the fact that he is sinless, that he is spotless without sin. And then third, they give Jesus myrrh, myrrh, which is used as embalming fluid. Myrrh is something that is used to embalm the dead. And if you're like me, the first time you really realize what what myrrh is, you're like, what in the world is going on here? You walked up to Jesus' mother and goes, Mary, congratulations, we love your child, we got him something, here's embalming fluid. You know? I mean, what what a crazy gift to give a newborn. You know, it's like giving Gandhi uh, an assault rifle for his birthday. It just doesn't fit. But what is, the, what is the myrrh? The myrrh is prophetic like the gold and the frankincense. 
Myrrh points to the fact that Jesus Christ will suffer and he will die for the sins of the world. Beautiful gifts that just capture that night beautifully. And soon after that, they leave and they go back to their own country. And by the way, they go back by another route. Why do they do this? Because God has warned them in a dream to steer clear of Herod. And so they go back. And by the way, once again, even this dream at the end and an unexpected route, it emphatically makes the point that this trip with the wise men, it was never a diplomatic mission. This is one big God story from beginning to end. Pretty awesome, huh? Are any of you seeing the wise men in kind of a new light? Well, if you're like me, I got to spend a week with these guys studying this. Um, I love the story. But when you get to the end of the story, when you close the book, there's a question that comes typically with the wise men. And the question is, great story, and I can derive meaning from it in a number of different ways, but what is the story really about? What is Matthew's point with the wise men? And I can sum it up for you in one word. The one word is generosity. This is a story of giving and generosity. And, and, and forget about the wise men for just a minute and what they give. Let's start with God. This is a testimony to the incredible giving of God. This is a testament to God's generosity. And, and the picture we see of God here is just this open-handed heart, uh, a God. This, his hands are open. His heart is wide open. God's giving to the wise men is astounding in Matthew chapter 2. Look at what he does. He invites them. He includes them. God leads them. God speaks to them. God fills them with joy. God gives them the gift of his son, and then God safely leads them back home. And when you stop to think that these guys are such foreigners, you know, not only are they, are they, are they literally foreigners from another country, spiritually, Man, these guys are foreigners. They are such outsiders, and yet God has drawn them into the story. God is giving and giving and giving to the wise man. And that generosity has an effect on the magi. You know, their response after all God has done and who Jesus Christ is, their response is they become generous in return. They give incredible gifts back to God. And it just struck me as I spent time with these guys this week that we've just got a lot in common with the wise men. Sure, our clothing is different. Sure, our transportation is different. But, you know, we began as, as great spiritual outsiders to the kingdom of God, to salvation. I mean, we were as distant and far off spiritually as they were. But what has God done in our lives? God decided to include us. God invited us. God led us. God spoke to us. God gave us the gift of his son. God has given us a new spiritual home and a new spiritual family. I, I, the, the, the commonality, the, the connection, I think is astounding. Now, here's something else that I find quite fascinating about the, the wise men is that after this, we have no idea what happened to them. We have no idea who they were. And I know in history, you know, there's some accounts of the wise men that their names were this, this, and this, and they were baptized by Philip. And it's really historical fiction. We don't know any more about the wise men than what we get here in Scripture. So after this scene, you know, it's kind of like a Western. You know, they just ride off into the sunset, 
and, and they vanish from history. But our ending is a very different matter, isn't it? I mean, I would like to argue today that we will be there for our end, whatever that end is, right? We're not going to ride out of our own lives. I mean, we're going to be there for the conclusion of our story. We are going to see and experience, continue the journey, and know exactly what's happening. And so the question for us as Christians, and we've been saved, we're children of God, the question for us today is, how will our story end? We can't answer for the wise men, but how will our story end? What will we become? What will we, KPC, individual Christians, what will we be about in the days ahead as we journey with Christ? This is a question I wish I could ask every church member in every church this morning. But, but the question is, look, as Christians, will we be just another American tale? Will we? You know, will our theme song as Christians be, it's all about me, really, and all this is for me? Will that be our theme song? That could be the theme songs of of many Christians. Will our theme song be, uh, I did it my way? I mean, it's a possibility. It's, It's a road we can travel. It's a door we can take. Many Christians do. Will our days just be one endless climb on the ladder of personal success. Lucy read a verse to start us off from Isaiah 55. It asks us a really good question. And the question is, look, will we spend our money on food which is not real food? You know, will we expend our energy and our lives on that which doesn't satisfy? You know, to to bring Charles Dickens into the mix this morning, you know, will we live a small Scrooge-like existence as Christians. Worrying, scraping, hoarding, holding on to. What will our response be to the lavish love of God? The overwhelming generosity of our God who has given and given and given. And when you stop and think about it, you know, how did we really begin our, our journey? Well, we began as orphans, didn't we? Spiritually, we were orphans. What's happened to us? We've been adopted by our Heavenly Father. You know, our inheritance is endless. Our life is completely changed according to the Word of God. We were orphans, and now we're children of God. You know what else we were? We were also prisoners. Spiritually speaking, we were trapped. I mean, it was a death sentence hanging over us, but God commuted it, didn't he? God commuted the sentence through Jesus Christ. And really what he did is it was a prisoner exchange. God exchanged us with Jesus Christ. Who was innocent, but who was executed for us? So in response to all of that, will our lives really be lives with us at the center of it all? Well, I'll tell you this, if that's true, that is the worst ending to a story ever, right? Especially when the story we're talking about is Jesus, the greatest story ever told. I tell you, our ending, the days before us, brothers and sisters, we are meant to be like those people in the Gospels, right? All those people that Jesus touched, and he healed, and he he spoke to, and he set free. Have you ever noticed how all those people go out out of the passage? You know, they, they walk out of those scenes, and it's like, hey, Preach, thanks. You know, no, I mean, they're dancing and leaping and rejoicing. Don't tell anybody. Don't go. I can't stop telling. I mean, that's the rest of their lives. 
We are meant to be like the people in, in the, first church, uh, the first church in Acts, you know. Pentecost happens, Lord, thanks. That, that, that was a good service. Oh, what did they do? They ransacked the Middle East for the kingdom of God. Our ending, we are meant to be like John Wesley, you know, like Corey Ten Boom, like Billy Graham. We are meant to go out there and shine for Jesus Christ. We are. You know? Oh, it's good. Pull that out of there. Amen. You know, we are meant to reflect the image of God, right? We were fashioned into that. That's been restored back to us. This God who saved us from a small, dark, deadly existence. You and I, okay, we talked about this last week. You and I are meant to love our God without limits. Oh, then that sound good. If we could step into that. We are meant to love, to encourage, to bless the family of God around us. You know, we, we are meant to call out those trapped in darkness. All those folks who are trapped in darkness and lead them to Jesus Christ. You know, one thing the church has done, now not, not this church, uh, entirely, but there are pockets of it here. But in general, the church has kind of forgotten about the needy. We've forgotten about the empty. We've forgotten about the lost. We are to remember and serve them and give to them. We are meant to be like the wise men, all right? At the end of this, of this passage, for the wise men, no journey is too small, right? No journey is too small. Uh, no inconvenience is too great for us. No gift no gift is too great for us to give, not after what he's done for us. That's the point here. And so our theme is spending less and it's giving more. So the question is, when it comes to the resources of our life, and we've got a few very precious resources. One of our precious resources is time. When it comes to our time. When it comes to another precious resource, which is our energy, and of course, I'm going to mention the third one, our, our money. Who is all that for? Who's it for? You know? The American dream would say, it's for you. It's for you and yours. Who is it for? Is it for us? Or is it for the God who saved us and set us free and loved us without the limits? Is it for the world that he points us to? What is all of this for? In other words, okay, are you, and, and I'm asking myself this as well, are you a spender or are you a giver? Um, I, I know we can, I'm, I'm going to narrow the definition for spending for just a second, but spending in general has me in mind. Spending is for me. Spending has me at the center. You know, if I'm a reckless spender, I might even buy, buy a Middle Earth shirt, you know, like, like one of our pastors, you know, but, but spending puts me in the middle, right? And I do it all the time. What is giving, though? Giving has him in mind. Giving has them in mind. Giving is for him. It is for them. Giving has him at the center, and it pulls them into the center. And so the question we've got to ask ourselves, we have to ask it with the wise men, is what is our life all about in the end? And my dad was right, you know, when he said, Steve, nothing says what you're about more than your calendar and your bank book. It's a great question to ask. Jesus said this to us in Matthew 6, 19 through 21. He says, don't. Don't store up treasures for yourself on earth where rust eats away at them. 
you know, where moth destroys. Instead, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where, where, where those uh, nagging elements can't get at them. And then he says this, for where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And that is not just good advice, you know, for your best spiritual life now. Folks, that is a command from our Lord, our God, and our King. And if you're like me, that's what's so beautiful about Matthew's portrayal of the nativity because Matthew is the book of the kingship of Jesus Christ. It's so good for me to remember as a 21st century American Christian who elects presidents that I have a king, that I've got a king, and he commands, and his word is everything. And he has called us to give. He has said, look, and, and look, he even makes it sweet for us. You know, give, and even more will be given back to you. I mean, the promise is even attached to it. But he has called us to serve and to give our lives for him and to give our lives for the sake of the world, to abandon this old life, you know, this American dream that is an American nightmare of miserly self-centeredness and step into gen- generosity for the sake of his kingdom and everyone that's on his heart. So the question I ask, and I'll leave it with you right now, is uh, how is that going with you? How is generosity going with you right now? Could it be better? The answer is yes. It's always yes. So why don't we, as the people of God, do something as a word we use a lot, and it's repent. And repent just means turn. Why don't we turn with all of those resources? Why don't we turn and let them flow in another direction, a direction away from us? I tell you, that wouldn't just make for a Merry Christmas. That would make for a very, very merry rest of the year. Amen. Thank you for listening to the KPC Podcast. For more messages and information, visit kpc.org.